Welcome back to the Talking Footy podcast. Each week across the footy season, we are talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Jimmy Bartell, and this week, our special guest is Paul Connors. Paul Connors may not be a name you instantly recognise, but he's the man behind some of the AFL's biggest and brightest stars. Paul started Connors Sports Management in 1999, and it's since become one of the industry leaders in the AFL player management movement. Currently on their books are Paddy Dangerfield, Nick Nat, Hodgie, and Mark Murphy, just to name a few. He also managed Chris Judd and Adam Good's amazing careers, and I guess he was lucky enough to manage me during my time at the Cattery. In this podcast, I discuss with Paul his relationships with players and clubs. I think Jack Watts is the most resilient player in the AFL. I adore him as a person. I think he's always positive. I think Melbourne supporters are reaping the rewards. Free agency and the media. I think we get overblown free agency. I think if you look at all the free agents that leave, there's not too many. And I think if we did a real strong analysis of it, it's not ruining clubs. The competition's never been so even. Now you also let me in on a few of the big fish that got away from his grasp. Nick Revolt, I thought I was close, and uh, Tommy Hawkins, there's a few. You know, Big Hawk, you know. Thought I was a dollar five there with a hawk with Johnny Turnbull. We're talking footy. Welcome, Paul. Uh, thanks for taking the time to have a chat. We'll just get started. Um, a bit about yourself. Family? Family, yeah. Thanks for having us, Jimmy. Um, I've got three kids, married for nearly 20 years. Um, Charlie, Imogen and Archie, all different, all trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, not all trouble, but uh, Charlie's doing year 12, Imogen's year 10 and Archie's year 7. So definitely keeping you busy as well as all your players. How many players yeah. do you have on your books? We've just got about under, about 90. 90 yeah, players, 90 yeah. players. But you run a pretty small staff at Econo Sports. Yeah, we've got a good little structure. Um, well, we, we think we do. Um, and staff that have been there for a long time. So Robbie Durazio heads up, um, you know, the client management. Mal Oberhoff has been with us for, you know, nearly 10 years. Georgie, Madison, Alex, Saundry. Uh, you know, really good staff, really good staff. And we've had some good staff in the past as well. And yourself personally, were you a footballer yourself coming through? Yeah, I wasn't a great footballer. Um, I can't pump myself up. <laughs> Biggest claim to fame is the 1987 Under-19 Grand Final for old Zabs. Um, no, I was. I loved my footy. I loved sports. I loved cricket. Loved football. Um, just like most kids back in the in the 70s, um, they were my two favourite sports. But tried everything. You know, was master of none and jack of all <laughs> trades. So, um, and played old Zabs football, and that was as high as I got, Jimmy. And. Work, obviously, player manager now, but yep. what, what was your background before you were Paul Connor's player manager? So I was an accountant by trade and really fell into that. You know, I've, I've spoken to a few schools about how I got into the pathway of being a player manager, but, you know, I, accounting was my last subject at school in year 12. I then just fell into doing Bachelor of Business accounting, but it's really put me in good stead. I thought there was a lot of ex-footballers and coming into the game as managers and I just had that difference of the accounting so I could put it into English I think and still use that um, skill set. So so who gave you your first start in, in player management? Well how it started um, to, to, to before when I started with Ricky yeah. and I'll get to how I started with Ricky but I um, I was good friends with Scott McGuinness and Andy Gowers who played for Hawthorne and back then, in 1994, let's say, I was helping them raise money for a footy trip. 
which probably couldn't help happen today. <laughs> but we had this huge party, Mad Hatter's party on the Glenferry Oval. I became good friends with Jason Dunstall and he recommended me to Ricky. So I worked for Ricky from 1996 to 1999 and um, that was a great eye-opener and Ricky was at the top of the game. So was the time. was it the Big Ten concept around there? Club 10. Club yeah, 10, yeah. sorry. So just like this boardroom table we're sitting around now, you know, in Kingsway, South Melbourne, you know, I was a 26-year-old sitting around a table with Gary Ablett and we had all their managers too. So Tony Lockett came, Modra flew over, Djakovic flew over from Perth, Gary Lyon. It was a great concept and really, um, you know, I've spoken to Ricky about this now and again and um, publicly, you know, the player image rights, you know, Ricky was responsible for a lot of the image rights that the players have got today. And your, your first client? Yeah. Who was that? First client, well, I left Ricky um, in ni- September 1999, not that I know the date, but I think it was <laughs> September 6th. First couple of clients... Brad Lloyd, who's now the list manager of Fremantle, and Angelo Lekas, they would have been in the top ten clients. Jace McCartney. You know, I had a list, you know, when you do, you know, if I was doing a business plan that my um, sisters always cringe about, but, you know, my business plan was writing down the ten players I thought might come with me. Five did and five didn't. So it wasn't the greatest business plan. I didn't really know what I was doing, but um, a couple of years later... Um, you know, in, a, in, the, in the super draft that we call that probably helped set up the business. Is it, when you identify players, that, how do you go about identifying players for potential clients for you, for, for Connor Sport? Yep. Well, in, initially, um, it was me um, and I was looking and, and talking to a lot of the current recruiters or, or people we knew. And back then it was a bit different. Um, we weren't looking at the under-16s or we were just looking at the under-18s that are just on at present. But then I was lucky enough to um, have John Turnbull work for me for 10 years. Now, John was the the big boss at Hawthorne and he was responsible for picking Luke Hodge at Hawthorne, uh, which was a pretty good pick by John. And he actually helped um, set up my business, there's no doubt. You know, I'm forever grateful to John. He's a well-respected man and got one of the best eyes in the business, but he identified, you know, probably still half my client list that's on there today. So you had your own in-house recruiting manager, really? Yeah, and we were ahead of the game. So I remember John distinctly watching Dale Thomas at Optus Oval, and and that might have been when he was a 17-year-old. And I thought that other recruiters, exactly like I used to do, or other managers, went to the recruiters but we were try- I was trying to be one step ahead and had John as the in-house recruiter. Is there any... Knew when we sat with players and parents, John would talk technically about that kick that should have gone here and didn't, and um, it was a great asset. Was there any other factors that go into approaching a player? So if a player had a bit of a... Call, he was a bit of a scallywag off the yep. field, to, to put it lightly. Would that be a no-go zone to you? Was it just not, purely football-based? Not a complete no-go, but we certainly... Um, and it's interesting, even the recruiters, and John's a big one on it, he would watch the parents as much as he'd want the players. So he'd w- watch the parents and see if they carried on, and John would have a couple of asterisks next to the name. I suppose if they got three, it might yeah. be um, an issue. So it was as much the player as it was the parents. But we thought we could help a lot. Yep. you know, of players and when I look back on it, there's some players that we've managed that I'm extremely proud of. So a lot of people wouldn't be aware of, of this 
process of how um, a player comes under your management. So as, as we've got so far, John identifies them, recommends to you, so what's the next John's step? John's not with us anymore. Oh, not with you, but... But, pre- but that's how it happened. How it happened, a, a yeah. About t- the 10 years of the business. Yeah, so place. you identify a player. Yeah. What, what's the next step? We'd write a letter to the family and, um, and to their club, whether it's a TAC club or someone in Perth, and then we would um, ring the parents and try and meet with them and build a relationship and see where it goes from there. Do you feel when you're sort of sitting in their lounge rooms, is it both are interviewing each other in a way? Yeah, a little. It can be uncomfortable because you're there telling them that you're good at what you do and it's certainly not something I'm comfortable with telling people that I think I'm good at something. Um, I'd rather... You'd like to think that, you know, your journey you've been on or the management over 20 years would stand for something, but I think... Um, you do have to sell yourself a bit. And they've got lots of choices, though, Jimmy, so it's not like um, they're in, they could be interviewing us, yeah, yeah, but we're definitely... Have you, um, without naming players, of course, yeah. have you ever walked away from any and gone, geez, that was interesting, or is there any unique stories from those yeah. parent interviews? Oh, some great... Any, anyone that you can share with us? You don't have to name names, but just a little, we're just getting a little insight in how... Oh, no, just... Some of the different ones, and maybe you know, there was one you know that I was going to the meeting beforehand, really early in the day, and I knew I didn't want to manage that person, but I still didn't know how to not um, extract myself from the meeting. So I was going to the meeting, and um, I suppose I just wasn't selling ourselves <laughs> as much as I'd like. And there's just a few that we we talk about at the offices. They were strange meetings. We we didn't end up managing the players, but there's always. Um, everyone's got a war story, you know, you're always <laughs> blaming something else for not getting the player. Do you reckon there's a, an expectation from the parents of what your responsibilities are, especially say, for example, you found a kid in country Western Australia, yeah. he gets drafted, well, to the Cats, so he yeah. could be six, seven hours away from home. Is, do you feel there's an expectation from the parents? Oh, as, as big an expectation from the parents as there there is from me, so the expectation from myself and our company would be huge and we'd like to pride ourselves on if they're not drafted or if they're drafted and it doesn't turn out. So they're the stories that I'd like to think that as a company over the past, you know, 15 plus years that we'd be pleased with how we've managed some players who have missed out on the draft and there hasn't been a lot because we, we, we try and be careful about who we approach but equally if they delisted early or they've been injured or there's issues I'd like to think that um, as a company we've done a good job and that we try and manage and and people got more needs Um, it just probably goes to say that Chris Judd or Luke Hodge had more on their plate than some other players who didn't have marketing but it doesn't mean that um, Chris Judd's contracts any more important than someone else who is a rookie that to them their contract vitally important and that's like we we try Mm. and do that so that, you'd say that is one of the key responsibilities. And I know all management groups do it differently. Mm. But what other sort of responsibilities do you feel like managers have to take on board when they've sort of got an 18-year-old coming onto their books? I think just to try and educate them about a number of things. And it's just not financial. They've got enough people telling them about football, so I try not to... And I don't know enough about football to tell them, you know, what to do as opposed to their coaches. But certainly just trying to teach them and guide them about that this doesn't last forever. So to set up some structures in place of money management. And and also the, the more I 
them in the game, the more I believe that they need to be studying or networking more. I think that people don't, they leave the game and they go, shivers, I, I wish I had have networked a bit more with the people they've got and, and certainly making that a strong emphasis at the moment. Yeah, so you'd be high on the, what's become a, a pretty topical conversation is that, that football transition yep. away from the game. Yeah, no, and I think it's huge, the transition. Mm. I think it's harder than people think yep. and... I think you need to start thinking about your transition in your first or second year, um, not just when you're 28 and you think the time's coming to an end. So that relationship we've spoken with, with the, the family, what's the relationship like with players? Is it constant contact or you're waiting to be almost instructed, instructed by them? Well, with our structures at work, it's changing. Mm. So, you know, Robbie D'Arazio's taking a lead role, Mel's taking a lead role, and so are, so are Georgie, Madison and Alex. Um, so everyone has a different role to play. So mine might be finance and contract. Um, Mel's might be welfare and marketing, and, and Robbie's might be something else as well. So everyone's got a different role to play. We don't have just one player only talks to that agent and that's it. We've got a, we've got a crossover of um, roles, so... Have you, have you ever advised a player something different than what they're strongly about? For example, a player is, I want to leave this club, but you actually, you've seen the landscape better, yep. and you say, no, I think you should, should stay at the club. Huge on that, especially yeah. the interstate um, players who are drafted interstate and want to come home after two years. I'm not saying that we've never had someone come home. Um, we have, but I like to think that um, our stock shot or our first instruction is you've got to try and stay for four years um, at least and you're going to be homesick and that's just the way it is but um, and I'm obsessed with premierships yeah I'm obsessed with my players winning premierships so that's overriding um, in a lot of my instructions and, and just playing oh, I've had many examples of the mum or dad or even the player wanting to come home after one year and talking to them about why they should stay. You brought up an interesting point, which we we're going to get to, but you, you raise it there. So you feel, do you feel that currently at the moment it's you drafted and you have a standard two-year contract, would yeah. you like to see that go out to, to three or four years? But obviously duly compensated for it, but a longer first-up contract? I think I would, and, and fundamentally I think I'd do it anyway. So um, I'm not too stressed about it because I, I think I... I advocate that without it being official, but I'm certainly more into it than I was. And your relationship with clubs, it must be difficult. You might be in a tense negotiation with one player, but you might have another three or four players already on that list. How, yeah. how do you manage the relationship with clubs? Are they, are they good enough to see each you know, individual case or do they think, oh, no, here comes Paul again? I like to think that I'm tough but fair and I don't lie, so I'd like to think that I'm really honest and um, we can vary. If they think the player's worth 400000 I think he's worth 500000 Well, that's OK, um, because we've just got a difference of opinion. But I think, um, likewise, like they... We've got various players at different clubs, and I was just thinking, I've said it before, but, you know, West Coast might have been upset when Chris Judd left West Coast, but then Nick Nananui comes along, and they're certainly not going to be too upset for long, or Andrew Gaff comes along. So... Um, as swings and roundabouts, I think I've been in the game long enough that there's respect and um, I don't think... I think I, we drive a hard bargain when we need to, but we also understand when players should just be playing. How do you feel the attitude is now these days? It, it's probably matured, but 
you know, the whole sense of, you know, the club screwing over the player or the manager screwing over a player, for want of better words, do you think all parties are now pretty understanding of what, what's fair and reasonable and then it's just nutting out the details of that? Yeah, I think so. And I think a contract, I think you, if you can understand there's a few parties to the contract, it's the club, it's the player, it's the AFL, and if you have a big picture, and you'd like it to be a win-win. I mean, I would like to think that the majority of our contracts are done with a minimum of fuss behind the scenes and, and um, we get on with it. But I understand football's such big business. It's talked about everywhere you go. Um, you'll know you're getting asked about football because mm. people love it. They just mm. absolutely love talking about it. And right now we're in the middle of the most even season we've had. So, you know, the AFL should be congratulated and they'll be happy of how close it is. Um, but we'd like to think, even with the big media, how big the media is, that we do a lot of our business behind closed doors. Well, media, as you said, it's, it's 24-7 now and um, we only have to look in recent weeks that with social media being used by certain players, it, do you feel you have to educate your own players on, on the use of social media, even as a positive influence? Yeah, I, I, and I think that's important. I think social media's copped a... a, a not a rough deal, but maybe. I, I think... Um, you can't let it define you. I think that's the most important thing. It, you're not defined by, you know, your amazing resume, Jimmy, of, you know, premierships and Norm Smith. It's not the first thing that comes to my mind about you. When I think about you, and I've had the privilege of managing you for a number of years, but I think of family. Um, and, and that can translate to social media. It's hard because we get caught up in the bubble. Yep. But I think if we can really keep perspective that we're just custodians of this game and that we're, we're moving through and there's going to be another Jimmy Bartell and there's going to be another player manager down the track and um, I think we can use social media for good and I understand that's not that simple but I don't, you know, if I saw a Twitter and it's easy for me to say it because I think I'm strong-minded but I see some of the hate on Twitter about me now and again and I laugh, yep. you know, and I can do it in a really nice way that I understand that that's not who I am or what defines me. Monday night, it's the best in the business with everything you need to know about footy. Join Luke Darcy, Wayne Carey, Tim Watson and Sam McClure for Talking Footy. The match review panel, please, please get it right. It is not difficult. Well, I reckon we've found a new Superman in the competition, Duck, and he's only played two games. Rodney Ede has to desperately find a way to build a relationship with his players. Umpires are human and they want to go... I want to be Mr. Popular. <laughs> Monday nights at 7.30 on 7 Mates. We're talking footy. Media plays a pretty big role in um, a lot of new things to our game. Free agency, um, trades are more regular yep. these days, and even the draft to some aspect. You're very rarely, for someone who manages some of the more high-profile players, and a couple of them have moved, very rarely quoted um, as a manager. But do you feel... The reporting of um, free agency and trade week, you know, numbers getting thrown around, do you think it's reported correctly? Oh, with, with everything, it's, some is correct and some is really correct and some is just way off the mark. But I think um, trade week's another level, isn't yeah. it? We, we thought grand final and the draft was big, but trade week, and I call it trade month now, it's mm. sort of been ruined, it's just morphed. It used to be a little week period, but it starts early and it's intense and it's been commercialised and you either get with it or you don't. And I've sort of felt like it, even in that period that I've 
um, that we owe it just to the game to talk a little in that period. Um, but it's big. The supporters all want the new... They want hope. And um, I think the AFL love it. They want to dominate the front and back pages for the whole 12 months of the year. Cricket get a bit upset. <laughs> but um, footy's just so big and that's what happens, isn't it? Well, one of your high-profile clients and now Geelong superstar, um, yeah. he went through a whole year nearly. We had a daily update of, of Dangerfield coming back to Geelong and even other clubs. The signs are the Cats are back in the driver's seat to lure Patrick Dangerfield. That's been the situation all along. That hasn't changed you know, since the start of the season, it's, you know, one family versus another almost. Um, and that's what the Adelaide Footy Club has become over the last eight years. It's been two days since his manager, Paul Connors, flew to Adelaide to sound out his intentions. And Dangerfield's still in no rush to make up his mind. I think at the end of the day, decision time is looming. Um, but there's nothing that's going to happen in the immediate future. Heard that... Paddy Dangerfield won't speak until the season's over, season's over. When will we find out? Yeah, thanks, but I, I don't want to talk today. I've said enough and we'll let, let it all play out over the next few days. But shortly after, the AFL's worst-kept secret was made official. Dangerfield had asked to be traded back to Victoria. He handled it brilliantly. Yep. He was all Australian, best and fairest while he was dealing with that. But do you see it having a negative effect on some players who the constant scrutiny of their contracts? think so, but that's just what you get because if you don't want that scrutiny, well then... Well, do you feel then it put, pressures them in to make a decision? Do you feel like you have players go, look, I'm just sick of it, let's just get it done? Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. And um, so you've got to be strong-willed, know what you want, know when you want to sign a contract. And, and make sure, you know, and that's why people shouldn't whinge when they sign a contract both wise, the player or the club, is, you know, that's what happens. There's two parties to this contract and, and once it's signed, you should honour it and move on and um, respect the contract you've signed. Uh, I, I think we're just in an era of yeah. media speculation, not just speculation, but just in a huge media space and that's what we've got. And, you know, not everyone's as capable as Patrick, but he just set the yeah. guidelines and he was terrific with it. Yeah, he's certainly unbelievable at, at that. You, you touch on there, signing a contract and honouring it. We're seeing a lot more instances now of players who have one, two, even three years to run on a contract but asking for a trade for yep. family reasons, other extenuating circumstances. Does that sit comfortably with you? After you've, say, for example, you've sat down and you've you've done all the, the haggling with the club and said, yep, I've got your player committed for three to four years, but one year later they're out? Well, it doesn't sit well, does it? And, no. and it? But there's obviously reasons, and, and, and we went through it last year just briefly with Carlton and Bryce Gibbs. Bryce Gibbs is in navy blue for now, but has been linked to a move home to Adelaide. I've been here for 10 years now, um, living in Melbourne. I've got three years to go on my contract, so I don't think I can see it playing out any other way. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, Bryce spoke to us and mentioned that he'd like to get back to Adelaide for family reasons. Uh, we think we can work with him through those issues. Um, so we're, we're not drawing any conclusions just yet. Carlton are sticking to their guns, insisting on a better deal. As a fellow player, I was wrapped with the way that he rocked up and um, as a leader of the club. So obviously, he hasn't got a grudge against the footy club or against the players or anything. It's just something that happened and we've moved on and hopefully we can have a really big year from him. When you've got a contract and you're contracted, you, you need to at least respect that. And that's what Carlton did. They they stuck fat and they didn't budge on what they probably thought was fair 
And to Bryce's credit, he's come out and had the most amazing year as well. And um, I think that's important that you don't... If I was a club and a player just wanted to go, I'd want to know why. I'd want to know that I'm getting fair value. And sometimes when you're contracted, you can get better value because he's your player. So if he's out of contract and they want to leave, you, you lose your leverage. But if he's contracted, maybe you can extract more for the deal. Yeah, exactly right. Um, free agency and trade and the draft and how it's all set up, there's been some slight adjustments now with the CBA where you can take your free agency with you, you know, 10 yeah. years and all that. Do you like where it's at? Would you like the age lowered? Would you like restrictions loosened again with, with trades and draft? Is there something that's got a, a bugbear of yours in this system? No, I, I, look, we've got eight years restricted and 10 years unrestricted. In, in time, I think we need to reduce that because I think that'll help more clubs in the free agency model. And I'm a player's person, I'm a free agency supporter, I think I think it sits comfortably. I think for the next CBA, for the next six years, that's how it'll be. I think a lot I think we get overblown free agency. I think if you look at all the free agents that leave, there's not too many. And I think if we did a real strong analysis of it, um, I think it's nothing that it's not ruining clubs. The competition's never been so even. So I think if you um, bring the eight, if you bring it down to let's say six and eight years, six restricted, eight unrestricted, I think then more clubs who are down the bottom would, the, the players would look at them more closely too. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think after six years, you should have a pretty good gauge on whether that player is a part of your next premiership plans yeah. anyway. So just freeing up that, that middle bracket age group, the 24 year old, I, I think it'd be better for all clubs involved. Yeah. So um, you famously did one of the great third-party deals with Chris Judd yep. and you know, the AFL Titan. Do, do you think they should relax he that? Put, to... He put the blue bins on the he, map. He did. He did, a, he did a lot of... Great job. He packed a lot of boxes in his time. Um, but that's another revenue for players to capitalise on their limited time in the game, the ASA third-party arrangements. Mm. Do, you, do you feel we need to relax them so players... Be, can become a part of more sort of sponsored arrangements? Yeah, it's never been harder to do a deal. You can't do a deal um, in opposition to the AFL's major four sponsors. You can't do a deal um, in opposition to the club's four major sponsors. And then if you do, you've got to put it through the AFL and it's all got to be ticked off. It's, it's extremely difficult to um, negotiate third parties. Uh, third-party endorsements. And I remember back to Wayne Carey and his endorsement with Nike and now looking at the big players today, Wayne got so much more money than, than the players of today. Um, Do you, are, you, are you an American sports fan? Do you follow any of this stuff? Or, well, or EPL or any yeah, international? Yeah. Are there any of those sort of modelling around players and player movement that you think we could take a little snippet from? No, I, look, I love our... I love our model that loyalty is still number one. I mean, I'm not... I don't understand rugby where they, they move halfway during the year. I think um, to have the debate about, you know, players just love... And it's not just the clubs. I think they're really loyal to their mates. So, yes, they love the club, but I think um, it's their mateship and what that means to them is why they stand. And, and I think our supporters enjoy that. So I, I love our game. I think it's the best game in the world and I think it's in really good shape. And I'm not one for just saying, change this, change that. I think it's going OK. Hi, sorry to interrupt. 
I just wanted to remind you of some of our other episodes of the Talking Footy podcast. There's Trent Cotchin. That was the moment that it all came to a head and tears were even shared. So I'd done a lot of thinking from post-season. We were obviously disappointed with the year that we had put together. <laughs> Jimmy Bartel. And then to make it even worse, I, I got out of the club, I got home, my phone starts ringing, it's Bomber. He'd forgotten to spray me a few things, so I was at home. <laughs> he's giving me another serve. I'm at home, and he's giving it to me. He's making me nervous over my dinner. And Bob Murphy. We need to have this out, Murph. I don't think we've ever done it face to face. Talk about the moment that I knocked you out cold in training. <laughs> no, you, you know what? I actually knew. Did you? I, you knew I woke, it was me, did I woke you? up and I instinctively, I knew. I knew I'd mouthed off at you <laughs> and then I turned around, I ran away and then I was out and I knew it was, I knew, I thought, I just knew Darcy's knocking out. Make sure you check them out and be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll let you get back to Jimmy and Paul Connors. I know you, I know I've heard you before, you cringe a little bit with the term power broker of AFL, but do, yeah. you do have a, quite a number of influential clients. Yeah. Did the AFL ever seek your advice on, you know, these sort of matters or any other football matters, especially now we've just finished a CBA arrangement? I was pretty low-key in the CBA negotiations. Have, have they, though, in the past just said, Paul, grab your advice on things? I'm really good friends with Andrew Dillon and um, I've had chats to him, but just really ad hoc, nothing that I've been staunch about, this is my view on here or there. But I think, yeah, they've picked my brains on a couple of things, but nothing... I haven't seen anything come up that I've said that's my rule or anything. No, no, no Connor's rule <laughs> no. in place. No. And the CBA, from a player manager's point of view? Yeah, I think we should be, from a player's point of view, the players should be really pleased. And it's not just about the money, it's they've become partners in the game for the first time in a long time. And hopefully you'll see um, the clubs, the players and the AFL working together to keep growing the pie because, the, the, you know, if they grow the pie, the players will get rewarded and you know the retirement fund's never been as strong and I think Paul Marsh and his team should be really pleased and Gil McLaughlin and his team should be pleased. So a lot of people are tipping that in in a way that it's going to be a spending spree this year because of the 20% up front but a num- number of players have that um, already factored into their contracts you know where the CBA goes their contract goes with it. Yeah. So. Are we going to see a frenzy at the end of this season? I don't see a frenzy because the other side of it is I don't think many people leave. So I think that's the other thing is that I think supporters have got to find that it's just not easy to get a player to move because they're so loyal to their current club and then you've got to fit it in. So and you've seen some play, um, clubs um, do it from do it the hard way and whether that's Melbourne just at the moment... they're I mean, it might have taken a while, but Melbourne looks terrific, in terrific shape. I think there's a number of clubs with their salary cap and lists in really good space to launch. If they're able to do that, that's another matter. You touched on clubs. There's been player managers and also people from Clubland gone back and forth. Have you ever been approached by an AFL club to, to be a list manager, a footy manager? You deal, your daily work is dealing in contracts. Yeah. yeah it's just now on the other side of the fence. I, ever, I don't even think I've been approached, Jimmy. They mustn't oh, really? be any good. No. <laughs> no, they must be thinking yeah, you're having too much fun on that side <laughs> exactly. of the fence. Exactly. Look, it's been... I always float with it, would I want to be a list man? I think I try and do that in my own head sometimes, um, and it's certainly a space of, of supporting the team. But, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable at Connor Sports and <laughs> the structure and the team we've got in place, so I think I've got another good ten years there. And you're a footy lover yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just 
you watch a lot of football. Obviously, you're watching a lot of teams because you've got a lot of players. Mm. Your, your thoughts on the state of the game at the moment? I think it's a great in a great state. I mean, I was lucky enough to watch the under-18s on the weekend at Punt Road and the under-16s, and I said to someone, we just keep producing footballers, don't we? And the under-18s game was one of the best games of footy I've seen. About the week before, I was at Halebury and Kerry watching the grand final, and I just thought that was one of the really good great games of school sport I'd seen compared to when I was at school. Well, in the National Carnival, they've got that rule where you have to have two kept inside 50, your forwards. Yep. Would you, do you think that could work in at senior AFL level? Or no, are I we not ready for that? I'm not ready. We're not ready. I mean, we've got enough rule changes. I think if you <laughs> could just stop rule changes for two years, it would be nice. That, that would be nice. You follow a team? Sort of. Old Zavs is my usual stop shot. AFL team. AFL team. Um, or East Melbourne Knights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I grew up being a Richmond supporter and loving Michael Roach and... Um, I think I had Bruce Monteith's number on my back and I was caught the train home with my sons yesterday and we saw Francis Burke on the train. And yep. They didn't understand why we were calling him St Francis. Um, <laughs> Richmond-ish, but, uh, you know, in this game now, it's, you know, I love GWS, I love Melbourne, I love Geelong. You know, there's all mm. different reasons why. And I could be barracking for um, Carlton in a game and then one of my players makes a mistake and... I'll barrack for the opposition, so <laughs> I'm very easily swung. And you, you mentioned the kids. Uh, they've been, obviously, surrounded by the AFL environment. Have they all got different footy jumpers on? What numbers are getting around in the Connors house uh, on the backs? Now, Charlie Connors loves Dustin Martin. Archie Connors is a Richmond. And Emmy is, was Swans. She loved Goodsy. Yep. So Archie barracked for the Saints. So one of our good friends, Michael Thorne, keeps reminding him that he barracks for the Saints because Matt Maguire and Sophie Ball was our nanny and... Goose used to bribe him with all the Saints gear. <laughs> and then he chased. I remember he said to me, he was about, he's very young, but he said, Daddy, they're not playing Goose. <laughs> and uh, he jumped ship to Richmond, and my eldest son was saying, Don't do it. Richmond were like one win for the year, and Saints hadn't had a loss, but uh, he jumped ship to the Tigers as well. We, we mentioned earlier uh, the Super Draft. You had um, Hodgie, Judd, and Ball. You've had Adam Goods. Don't forget Graham Pollock at four and you yourself at eight. Graham Pollock, I forget it you before. Are. No, I was, I was the dregs on the end of pick eight. Yeah. If you add up all their numbers, you probably yeah. just get the pick eight. <laughs> and we mentioned Dangerfield and Natanui, just to name yeah. a few. Have you had a player, though, that's given you the most amount of joy? And I'm not saying just necessarily the on-field star, but just you've watched his career and you go, look, he's just got the most out of it or he's just brought you the most joy to manage? Oh, one of my closest is Chris Tarrant. So Taz is probably nearly my closest client still. Um, Watsy's just one that when I think of players, I think Jack Watts is the most resilient player in the AFL. Um, I adore him as a person. I think he's always positive. Um, I think Melbourne supporters are reaping the rewards. Uh, I don't understand what happened in the pre-season because he was fine to me. Um, I think he's a great person and, and someone who you would love to play for. I'd love to play footy with Watsy or I'd love to have him in the change rooms just as a good person. And there's some others that, you know, I'm really proud of Chris Yaron and he's gone through some ups and downs, but just at the moment where I think he's at, I'm really proud of him and what we've done as a company um, to help that. Whereas, you know, whether it's Luke Ball, he's just been a star. I think he was going to be okay without us. So yep. um, I think he was always going to be okay. So just a cut, but you know, Yaron, I'm really proud of how we managed him throughout his career. Oh, fantastic! Pretty switched on man, Bull, isn't he? He'll yeah. probably be running the AFL yeah, soon. The way he's going. 
Just a couple of quick questions to end on. Uh, yep. What's next for, for Paul Connors, uh, Connors management? Oh, look, we're, we, we couldn't be more excited with what's coming through and, the t as we said, the talent that we're seeing. You know, we had a meeting with a young player today and he inspires me and so do the, the next generation of players coming through. And, you know, my staff inspires us. You know, we've got just an amazing, amazing staff. Um, Mel, Robbie, um, Madison, Georgie and Alex, they're great. And, and I can't see myself going anywhere else but um, Connor Sports for a while. Who's a current player you love watching at the moment, but you don't manage them? So... Um, or maybe you'd love to go, geez, I, I wouldn't mind him on the books. <laughs> There's a few of those. There's well, actually, who, we'll start first. Who, who's the player that you don't manage that you love watching? You've just caught me off, off guard. But Bont, Bont and Pally's great to watch. Oh, he's nearly everyone's favourite. Yeah. Um, oh, there, there's a few. Joel Selwood's impressive. Um, yeah, I have a bit of a crush on Joel Selwood. Yeah. I oh, like there's a number, and I'm you know I can watch and and really enjoy. Uh, Alex Rance is just the best player, and I because I take the kids a bit to Richmond, I watch him, and um, you know wow, he's just wonderful. Um, yeah, oh. Rance, he'd be right up there. Unbelievable defender reminds me a lot of uh, one of your old clients, Matt Scarlett, down yeah, back, yeah. isn't he? Um, and then on the flip side, is there ever a player you thought? he's got away so you've done the pitch to the family and the parents and you thought you've had him and then you sit him watch him every week and you go oh, I thought I had him uh, well Nick Revolt I thought I was close and uh, yeah. Tommy Hawkins there's a few oh yeah. big hawk big hawk <laughs> big hawk know, yeah thought I was a dollar five there with a <laughs> hawk with Johnny Turnbull oh there's always those isn't there oh Steve Cornelio was the one yeah yeah Steve um, I put a yeah, I put about eight years of work. You put the hard press on him and he didn't <laughs> sign. Yeah, no, what a great person he is too. And really, yeah, he's... And, and that's important, I think, just now that I like, just because we don't manage them, I, I love still following or talking to them and their parents. You know, it's a really hard decision for these 17-year-olds just choosing a manager. And um, I'd like to think that I just treat them normally and you don't see them, but, you know, you love watching them or you see their parents and you say hi. Just quickly on the managers, yep. uh, the AFLPA a number of years ago put in almost a, a regulation in on, on managers. Are you happy yep. with that for the industry or do you think it should be tighter, harder, easier? No, I, I think there's a really hard exam that you have to get 75% for. You have to keep going ongoing accreditation and you have to go to um, the conferences that the AFLPA run and you have to get a list of you know, 100 points accreditation every year. So, look, it's pretty full on to be an agent and... I'm comfortable with the rules. Yeah. You don't feel like you're ever babysitting, waiting on the phone? Uh, sometimes, but, you know, the players, are, the players are getting better and more responsible and they're more switched on. Um, no, there's, there's a little bit of that, but not overall. And do you think, because uh, clubs are now investing more in player welfare, it's, it's helped your job a little bit? Yeah, definitely, and we work in with the player welfare managers. So... Um, that's really vital, that we work in and we work together, not against each other. Um, best advice you've ever been given? Um, just stick to, stick to what you're good at and, and stay focused on, the, on, on football management. We haven't really diversified, so stick to, stick to player management. The core business, the core as business. Brian Cook loves yeah. to call it, doesn't he? Yeah, stick to the core business. The biggest lie the media has ever told about you? Ooh. Or maybe one of your clients. You don't have to name the client per se but just no there was just a time where I was bluing with a club and I think they 
probably thought I was working against them in in one player in particular, but. You know, again, that whole issue of you, you know you might have a fight with them one year and the next day you know yeah. you need to work together. Your best friends again yeah. to get the contract, yeah. and that, that's important. I'm a pretty big one on you know fighting today, but moving on tomorrow. And finally, where do you see yourself in 20 years' time, Paul Connors? 20. Where's Paul Connors in 20 years? Hopefully, playing a bit of golf at Royal Melbourne with Jack Watts because we're yeah. both trying to get in. He's a pretty handy golfer, though, yeah, isn't he? And he loves his golf, so he's trying to get into Royal Melbourne like myself. So hopefully, that's okay. <laughs> hopefully, we don't we get through. Um, following, hopefully, watching some grandkids um, play sport. How's that? That'll that's fantastic. Be. Thanks yeah. for taking the time, Paul. Uh, certainly learnt a lot about. Uh, player management and your role within the industry. So thanks again. Thanks for having us, Jimmy. We're talking footy.